Acts chapter 1. We will be reading verses 1 through 11 in just a moment. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let me ask you a question as you're finding that passage of Scripture. Who is discipling you? Who is discipling your children? Who's discipling your grandchildren? It's not a question of if. You are a disciple. The only question is, a disciple of who or of what? There's no doubt that our culture, all of the cultures in the world, that our culture is trying to shape us, trying to get us to see the world in a particular way, but by affirming the truths found in what we're studying now for the last several weeks, the Apostles' Creed, we are denying on one hand the false narratives that are imposed upon us by our culture. We're saying, this is not what I believe. But rather we are saying, I believe and affirming the essential things, the essential parts of the Bible, indeed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we come to one of those today. So follow along with me as I read and then we will say together the Apostles' Creed. I hope that if you're a believer you can say that with me and um, if you're not a believer, I hope that today you will be able to affirm those things. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while Staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Would you recite with me the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he arose from the, from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, there are many things on our hearts today to pray for. We are glad that we are assembled today as brothers and sisters in Christ, and I trust that uh, those who are visiting with us today will allow themselves to be a part of our family, to be encouraged not only by the reading of your word, the singing of your word, now the, the proclamation of your word. We all need to hear and take in what you say to us. And Father, I lift up several things. Oh, there are so many. But I think, first of all, I just heard this morning Matthew Price, uh, son of Todd and Pamela, one of our missionaries that we support, was in a very serious uh, accident in California. We lift him up, lift up all of the rest of the people in our church who are ill, who are ailing. Father, we pray that you would give Todd and Pamela a special grace as they travel from Europe now to visit with their son. Thank you that his brother, Jonathan, is there with him. Father, today we ask you to be merciful to us for the great horror that our nation has experienced. We thank you that, that there are some who see the necessity of saying that life is sacred because you created life. And so we pray for our nation today. And even in the comments that I'll be making in a few moments, I pray that you would help us to take in and then to act on the things that we hear and that we, we know from your word. And Lord, there are many things going on in our world and in our nation, but I want to pray specifically as you have commanded us to pray for our leaders. I pray for our president, President Trump. I pray for our leaders, the congressmen, the senators, that this Tuesday will be undertaking this trial. I pray in the name of Jesus that truth would be known. And Father, that you might be vindicated and glorified. So God, there again is so much before us. We want to focus now on your word and what it has to say to us. We pray that you would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law, from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to notice the emphasis for today. If, if you're new with us, we have been doing a study. This is study number 10 in the Apostles' Creed. All of these are on our website. You can go to those. You can listen to those that would bring you up to date. Um, as a non-creedal, at least that's what we've been called as Baptists sometimes, 
a non-cradle church, we've enjoyed. I've had so many comments on this study of the Apostles' Creed. And I believe that that is because it, it encapsulates the essence of the Christian faith that we have shared through the years and that we share Uh, uh, around the world. But I want you to notice something. The emphasis today, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now let me just ask you a question. I want you to respond, not, not out loud, but I want you to respond to yourself honestly. If the Apostles' Creed had omitted Jesus' ascension into heaven and his place at the right hand of the Father, would you have even noticed? A lot is written, and rightly so, on the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, on his resurrection from the dead, and even his second coming. But his ascension gets little or no recognition. So it's my heartfelt prayer that at least today we can do a little bit to remedy that. This has been an incredible study. The whole thing has been for me, but this week has been an incredible study into some of the the, the things that are the reality of the ascension. And so I pray that by the end of this message that all of us would appreciate a little bit more some of the amazing riches of what the ascension of Jesus Christ means for us. Now, we did this last week. I, I, oh, I, I wondered what to leave out and what to, to put in. Okay, so I'm just going to overwhelm you a little bit with Scripture, but here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to step back and get an idea. The chronology of Jesus Christ, we're going to go back to what we did last week. And so you don't have to, to, to write this all down. You, you know it for the most part. You're biblical scholars or at least students, and so you know some of the chronology of the Lord Jesus. I've inserted some things. I inserted one thing that might not normally be inserted last week for emphasis for what we went over. But let me just remind you of these, and then we're going to put this, try to put this into context because we need to see where the ascension fits in this whole thing. All right, last week we started with the Holy Spirit conception and the virgin birth, parenthetically. You just need to know this. And again, we're going to come, and I want to address this specifically, but at conception, life begins. A new life. Why are we pro-life? Because God is. So we begin with the Holy Spirit conception and the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to write down those verses, scribble them down real quickly. Let's move on to the next thing. Uh, now, we didn't really focus on this. We focused on this in the past. Jesus' perfect life and his suffering, de- crucifixion, and death. Now, the reason this is important, let me just kind of insert a little bit of theology for you, and this is important because what you do, how you live, is going to be based on what you believe, your theology. So why is Jesus' perfect life important? Because that is his active obedience to the Father. He fully kept the law when we can't. And then his suffering, crucifixion and death, could be called his passive obedience to the Father. He went to the cross to suffer and to die for us. He obeyed for us, which is applied to our account, 
and he suffered for us, which is applied to our account. We've talked about this in the past, but I just wanted to mention that. Let's move on. Last week, here's what we talked about, the promise. And the reason this was important, Jesus' promise in his last moments on the cross were to point to something. In those three days, or parts thereof, Jesus' body was in the tomb. He was somewhere. And the Bible specifically teaches this. He said to that thief, when, he, when the thief said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, okay, I'm going to be somewhere today. My body's going to be in the ground. It's going to be really totally dead. Remember the illustration? I had probably more comments on my illustration of the prince's bride last week. He was really dead, totally dead, not almost dead, okay? But he was alive in the spirit somewhere. He said, I'm going to be somewhere today. I'm going to be in a place called paradise. In the Old Testament, you guys used to call it Abraham's bosom, or, or you used to call it other places, but I'm going to be there, and you're going to be with me. What an incredible promise for all New Testament believers. So that was his promise. Then we saw his burial. Again, he really died, and he was buried in a tomb. And then the resurrection. We're going through this quickly. The resurrection of Christ. For people to doubt one of the most attested to events in all of human history is, I said this last week, is absolutely beyond me. Because we have a ton of post-resurrection appearances. He appeared to up to 500 people. Now, folks, 500 people are not just all together going to imagine or hallucinate about one particular thing. Jesus really came back from the dead. He was resurrected. And then today, Jesus' ascension on the cross. And we just read from Acts chapter 1. We can go back to Luke. Luke wrote about it twice. In chapter 24 of Luke 50 and 51, he led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands. He blessed them. While he blessed them, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, Jesus, the ascension means several things. But one of the things it means is that Jesus is back in heaven. So, now watch this. And this is how even I, even I, that's a prideful statement especially me, okay. When I was studying this this last week, I, I left out a very, very important thing that I discovered about studying about the ascension this week. And this, this was our outline with the addition of Jesus' ascension back into heaven. What's missing? Hmm, come on, what's missing? That's what I missed last week. Listen. His ascension simply means that he went back to where he came from. Because Jesus was in heaven before his birth. Paul and John said these words. He ascended. What does that mean? But that he had also, I know this is a, a, a debated topic, but I believe that this is the proper way to look at it. He ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended to the lower realm, to the lower parts, that is the earth. He became a man 
In the beginning was the Word, John says. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. So the ascension simply means that he went back to where he came from, to where he had been from eternity past. Now, the ascension. Just a couple of things about this. He is, you read it a minute ago. He went which direction? This is not a trick question. You did read it, didn't you? Ike Burris told us today in our Sunday school class that nod means wondering. I immediately thought, I know you weren't thinking of this, Ike, I immediately thought to my preaching. When I see people nod, I know they're wondering. So don't wonder, okay? Now, he went up, and then he, he disappeared. But does up refer to the direction? Yes, in part. Does it refer more to the position that he ascended back to where he had been in eternity past. He went into heaven to the right hand of the Father, which means that he has been exalted to a position of the highest honor and power and authority. So what does that mean for us? There are four things. You've seen these before, but I want to remind you of these things. They are so wonderful. I, I hope you see the wonder in them. First thing, you see it there on your outline? What does it mean that Jesus ascended? It means that he was vindicated and that he is exalted. Look at the, uh, the quote over here by Ligon Duncan wonderful preacher and commentator. He said this, it's right here on the, the top of the quotes that I've given to you. In the ascension, the Son of God in the flesh, the incarnate second person of the Trinity was raised visibly. The disciples saw it. Now this is good. Locally, from one place to another, and bodily in his flesh from earth into the heavens. Think about it. Jesus came into this world, and he had to depart this world somehow. The way that God chose for him to depart the world was uniquely appropriate in order to emphasize the truth that God wanted to emphasize to the disciples, that Jesus was going to heaven to reign. Jesus came down from his exalted position in heaven. Don't think directionally. Think positionally. He left his glory in heaven. That, that's what Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 2. He, he existed in the form of God. He existed with this incredible glory, and he descended to become a man. He, he, he yielded to become a man and to be humbled. You know, we, again, we were talking. It's interesting how if you're not plugged in into ABF, Adult Bible Fellowship, or most of the students here are plugged into their Sunday school, it's amazing to me how often in ABF 
we talk about the same things, isn't it? People come up to me all the time like, wow, we talked about that in our ABF class. And we were alluding to this fact that Jesus came down to the earth, and, and we, we talked about how that he came to the most humble of circumstances in Bethlehem in a manger. Now, let me just tell you something. I was thinking about this this morning, Ike, but I didn't say it. I keep referring to Ike because he's the one that was on the hot seat this morning. He was teaching. If, if Jesus had come to the greatest, most magnificent palace that has ever been created by man, he still would have been humbling himself. Do you understand that? Because he existed in glory. But what he did when he came down, according to this, he did everything that the Father asked him to do for our salvation in his active obedience. He perfectly fulfilled the law, which we couldn't do. And when we believe that's applied to us, and in his passive obedience, he received the punishment that we should have received. And when that happened, his father vindicated him. That means that his finished work was fully accepted by the father on our behalf, Christian. God has highly exalted him. This is the second part of it. Because he returned in triumph and glory, having accomplished everything. Folks, let me just say it in a couple of other ways. Jesus' work worked. Another way, I can appreciate this. When Jesus finished his work, his desk was clear. <laughs> Rocky, you're shaking your head. You haven't finished your work yet, have you? Neither have I. <laughs> I love that picture. When Jesus finished his work, his desk was clear. So what else was there to do other than be vindicated and go back into heaven? with glory and splendor. Look at this, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He was a victim and he became a victor. His crown of thorns became the eternal crown of glory. The spear that pierced his side became his scepter of authority. Here's an illustration for you about his vindication and his exaltation. I know those are big words. I hope we've kind of explained those. Here's a huge thing. We go back to the Old Testament. Hebrews, the writer, tells us there in this passage of Scripture, there were no chairs in the tabernacle. Do you know why? The priests weren't allowed to sit. They stood to perform their work because it was never done. 
every day, day in, day out, over and over again, they performed animal sacrifices. But when Jesus returned to heaven, he sat down. Why? The right hand of authority. Because he had offered himself for all time the one sacrifice that the Father accepted. And he rules and he reigns and he is, this is the Lord willing coming next week, the, the, the teaching. <laughs> now you just laughed, how am I going to make he's coming in judgment sound serious? It's the next part of the creed. He, he's, he's coming. You know, I stopped in the middle of the sermon and gave an invitation. I, I, you know, I, it doesn't say on my notes, invitation now. But I, I just, I can't imagine that someone here today who does not know Jesus, hearing all of this, and you're going to hear more about what he has done for us in his, his ascension, his exaltation to glory, sitting at the right hand of the Father, but knowing that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead ought to make you think. And I kind of caught myself because I, it almost sounded like I was saying he's coming next Sunday. We don't know. It could be today. Why in the world would you put it off? Jesus sits sovereign at the right hand of the Father. Now, let me just say this. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that, does it? You look around in our world, you wonder, is that really the case? God is the sovereign king. Today, you have that little handout from Hope Crisis Pregnancy Center about the sanctity of life, sometimes it doesn't in all the world, but, but in our country, in this one area, it doesn't look like that God is sovereign and that Jesus is sitting on the right hand. He is sovereign. He is working. But here's something that sometimes we forget in reform circles. God's just going to do all the work. Folks, he expects us also to do something. And if you believe, as, as we do, you, you can pick up at the, the Faith at Home Center, you can pick up some information that we have on our stance on the sanctity of life. Then you, you will do something. What can I do? Well, you can pray. You, you can talk to people. You can take a stand, be biblically informed, but you can take a stand. Years ago, I was a youth pastor in Plano, Texas. That's a long time ago. And I was speaking with a group of other religious leaders at, at the public school. It, it, was a, it was a marriage and family living class, and they were asking us questions, softball questions about marriage and family and all the rest. And one student asked, 
What is your personal belief on abortion? And I, I don't remember some of the ones who were sitting around me, but I basically shared what I'm sharing with you today, that we believe that life begins at conception. It is a sin. We want to deal mercifully, but we need to deal straightly with this. And we went on down. The last person to speak, it was a, a lady. She was a leader in the Jewish community. I, it came totally out of the blue. I did not expect this. She leaned forward and looked at me and said, I think that this man over here has been too political. Now, I wish I could share with you that I had a snappy but spiritual comeback. I, I really, I was so stunned, but I, I began to think, how could someone who was a part of a group of people that experienced the destruction of life say that that was political. Good people needed to stand up, and some did, and some lost their lives because of that. And we need to. One of the things you can do is vote. Is that too political? We, we live in a country where we have freedom to do that. You, you can vote. And I shared with you the last election cycle about the two-party platforms, and I said, if you don't need to be informed about anything else, read the party platforms. And I've been accused of being a one-issue. I have other issues too, but a one-issue voter. But read what both party platforms say about the sanctity of life, and if you inf are informed biblically, you will know which way you have to vote. And you may not like the way a certain person combs his hair or tweets or any number of things. But folks, I, I thank God that over the last several years we have two new Supreme Court justices who understand what we're talking about, okay? Okay? Now, caveat, do what you need to do, but don't ultimately look to fallen political systems, social systems to, again, I'll use the word, ultimately solve the world's brokenness. There's only one thing that will do that, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on the ascended King during times of struggle, and know that He is coming to right every wrong. You know why? Because you've got a friend in high places. Let's move on. That's coming up a little bit later. Number two, Jesus is preparing our eternal home. This is really cool. I don't know exactly what He's doing, how He's doing it, but remember, He grew up in a carpenter's shop, So I don't know if he's refurbishing, remodeling, customizing, but he, he said, I'm going. And, and while I'm gone, before I come back, I'm preparing a place for you, a room for you in my father's house. And there, there's more than enough room. And, and then I'm going to come back and get you. 
Jesus' ascension secures our eternal dwelling place. It means that you and I, Christian, if you're not a Christian, you don't have this hope. But for those of us who know him and are trusting him, it means that we will be with Jesus. He's not going to leave you behind because he has ascended, so have we. Now, See, we know that the Old Testament, where did they go when they died? Where did Lazarus go when he died? Abraham's bosom. It was upgraded. Remember Remember last week? It was upgraded to paradise. So in the Old Testament, Abraham's side, but today, now look at this. This is a present reality. It's a now and not yet kind of thing. Paul tells us in Ephesians that because of what Christ has done, we have been raised up right now with him and seated with him in heavenly places, in Christ. That's the now. And yet, there is more to come. So in one sense, we're already at the table. In another sense, yes, the best is yet to come. Number three, Jesus has given gifts to his church. Now, we, we know that, and there are a lot of things, I, you know, we could look at a lot of different things. He's given, as, as Paul says in Ephesians, gifted men. We could go to 1 Corinthians. He's gift, given gifts, spiritual gifts to his body. But I want to look at one thing of all of the wonderful gifts that Jesus has given because he's ascended to the Father. And really, what I'm doing is focusing on the very best gift. We ask a question, does the ascension of Jesus mean that he is absent? Think about this. Does the ascension of Jesus mean that he is absent from the world? The answer is no. His sovereign presence is all throughout creation, and he has become more fully present. And this touches everyday life. Wow. Does anybody remember, I don't watch game shows, but I heard about this one. Who wants to become a millionaire? What was unique about that game show? I don't think it's on anymore. I think it's been canceled. They were running out of money, I guess. What was unique about that? I'm going somewhere with this. What was unique about that game show, if you got stumped, you think about how, how true to life this is. If you got stumped, you could do a lifeline. Uh-huh. And one of those lifelines was you could call a friend who hopefully knew more than you do, and you could ask that friend for the right answer for the truth. Have you ever said this? Oh, I, I just don't know what to do. I wish Jesus was here. I'm just, I'm just struggling. I'm struggling so I, If I could just talk with him for five minutes, that, that, would, so, that would solve my, my problems. Look at what Jesus said. 
to his disciples, to all of us. He said, I, I tell you the truth, okay? He's telling us the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth that you need to know. The Bible says, what was that promise that he gave in Acts chapter 1? If you are a believer, you have the third person of the Trinity, God himself, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ living inside of you. And he now occupies a greater position to help you than if Jesus were walking right alongside of you. By the way, unlike who wants to become a millionaire, where you're only limited to one question a day, you're not limited with the Holy Spirit when you need Him the most. <laughs> He's there. Wow. Fourth thing, Jesus is continuing to minister. Talk about everyday living. Again, would you believe it? If I told you that we talked about this very subject, that God knows everything that you're going through, Jesus knows everything that you're going through, He has already been there. He has gone through any temptation, every temptation that you have had, including the temptation to give up. He's been there and He's conquered that. He has not fallen into sin But there's another beautiful truth. He is also an advocate. 1 John says it like this. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So when Satan comes to accuse you, Christian, and he will come to accuse you before the Father, Jesus is right there at His right hand. He pleads with the Father in the supreme court of heaven. He pleads His own blood that He shed on Calvary's cross for your sin. And you know what the Father says to the accuser Satan? Case dismissed. Something that grows out of the fact that he knows everything about us. He prays for you. Says that in Hebrews 7.25. He always lives to make intercession for you. He's not only your advocate pleading your case. He is also praying for you. He, he prayed for you in the middle of the night when you were asleep. He prayed for you when you got out of bed and you were a mess. He's praying for you right now. He's praying for you in your deepest, darkest need. He, again, He knows everything about you. He knows exactly what you need. It's not in the Bible once. It's in the Bible twice. So the writer to Hebrews says it, and so does the Apostle Paul. He's at the right hand of God. He is interceding for us. He has the Father's ear to ensure that you get the grace that you need in time 
time, a, a grace to help in time of need, any need. I said a minute ago, you've got a friend in high places. If you're a Christian, now, if you're not a Christian and you think about all of the people out there, about the best they can do is what Garth Brooks said about people and what they do in troubled times. He said, I've got friends in low places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. You may not turn to whiskey or beer, but everybody is going to turn to something during those times of feeling the blues. Christian, you have a friend in high places. And there is another song that says this, when Satan tempts me to despair, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. Why study the Apostles' Creed? Because theology matters in the nitty-gritty of life. And the only way you can sing a song like the words that I just spoke, and the only way this can be true and you can bank on it is because Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Father, I thank you for the wonder of your your word that tells us the gospel about Jesus Christ. And I thank you that even though our, our understanding of it is so imperfect, mine is, but we, we have a tug that pulls us not only to heaven, but also that, that pulls our hearts to you. You are the one who has the truth. And so in the name of Jesus, I pray for those of us who know you. And that we would look to the ascended Lord as the one who is not only preparing our eternal home, he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He continues to minister as our advocate, our lawyer, and he prays for us. God, again, if there is anyone who does not know the truth of that, I pray that you would open that person's eyes in their heart. And they would see that, that they are a, a sinner before a holy God, but you've taken care of that. You bore our sins on your body on the tree. And by re repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can come into that eternal life and that life with you even right now. So, Father, as we respond now to the words that we have been singing and saying and hearing, I pray that you would open our hearts as only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
We pray this in Jesus' name.